Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. Today is day 19 of Revelations and so we're in chapter 20. But before we get started, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for the one being who created the world, the universe, and all that's in it. And yet you left us a message and a note and a way to follow you, to know you more, and a guide on how to live. And I'm grateful for your Bible and the way you speak to us through it. I just pray today, Father, that as we go through Revelations 20, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits, and that they would be totally in tune with you, that we would understand more fully and deeply what you're about, who you are, and how we can better serve you. So may this time be one in which our, our, our eyes, ears, and hearts are open to you and your calling. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So chapter 20 covers off on a lot of different topics, and I'm going to go ahead and start with just reading some of what John MacArthur says about it. Now, this commentary initially, will it, he's including uh, chapter 19 also, along with 20. So just keep that in mind as we go. He states that, how will the end world, how will the world end? There are many, as there are as many answers to that question as there are doomsday prophets, futurists, and scientists. Some speculate about collisions with great asteroids. Others worry about nuclear conflagration. Still others fret over possible extraterrestrial invasions or the extinction of the human race due to pollution or disease. But those who study the Bible know that history is literally his story. God is, and always has been, sovereign over the, the events of the earth. The New Testament book of Revelation repeatedly reminds us of this truth. The day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will return to, his, to reward his followers and to punish his enemies. Few passages in all the scriptures are as majestic and powerful as Revelation 19 and 20. It begins with the sound of rejoicing over the defeat of the evil world system called Babylon. It ends with the battle of Armageddon and Christ's glorious com second coming, <clears throat> events that mark the close of the tribulation. Then we see the binding of Satan, Christ's thousand-year earthly kingdom, Satan's final rebellion, and the great white throne judgment. In the end, Jesus Christ will make all things right. Hallelujah. He then goes into, there's three ways that people look at um, the millennium, three different worldviews or interpretations. So the, the millennium, this is the thousand-year reign of Christ over the earth. There are three main views regarding the duration and nature of this period. Premillennium says, premillenniumism says Christ will return before the thousand-year reign and sees this as a literal thousand-year period during which Jesus Christ reigns on the earth in fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies. Premillennialism says that Christ will return after the events of the Great Tribulation, but before the final judgments and the establishment of the new heaven and earth. Using the same general principles of interpretation for both prophetic and non-prophetic passages leads most nat naturally to premillennialism. Another strong arg argument supporting this view is that many biblical prophe prophecies have already been literally fulfilled. 
<clears throat> suggesting that future prophecies will likewise be fulfilled literally. There's postmillennialism, says Christ will return after the thousand years, and understands the references to a thousand year period as only symbolic of a golden age of righteousness and spiritual prosperity. So this is one where all the other things will be have happened, the thousand year reign will have occurred, and then, then Christ will come. It's also starting to talk about <clears throat> that postmillennialism essentially teaches that the church, by, by preaching the gospel, will Christianize the world and usher in a worldwide era of peace, commonly called the millennium. Following this golden age, Christ will return and, and eternity will begin. And then there's amillennialism. Uh, and it understands the thousand years to be merely symbolic of a long period of time. This view interprets Old Testament prophecy as a, of a millennium as being fulfilled spiritually now in the church or, or as references to the eternal state. But using the literal historical grammatical principles of interpretation so as to determine the natural sense of language, one is left with the inescapable conclusion that Christ will return and reign in a real kingdom on earth for a thousand years. There is nothing in the text to render the conclusion that a thousand years is symbolic. Never in scripture when year is used with a number is it meaning not literal. <clears throat> so it's obvious that MacArthur is definitely a premillennialist and he really does believe that Christ will return at this point in time um, to be there during the entire thousand year reign. So let's go ahead and get started with the scriptures since we have that setting put before us in the context that, um, that we need to understand. And I saw an angel coming out of, out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a period of time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the, wor the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Could you imagine that for a thousand years you don't have the devil wreaking his havoc? Could you imagine how different our world would be? I mean, just amazing. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go, go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. So it's interesting that you have a thousand years of peace and prosperity. You don't have evil running rampant. Yet you still have people willing to fight for Satan and against God. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. 
They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented night and day, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who, who was seated on it. The earth and, and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's some interesting concepts there or, you know, information about the, the first death, the second death, the f- first resurrection, the second resurrection. And so I wanted to go through some of that, just the pieces that were, were in there that kind of did that, you know, covered off on that. So I'm going to go and look at verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Laid hold. This, this includes not only Satan, but also the demons. Their imprisonment will dramatically alter the world during the kingdom, since their destructive influence in all the areas of human thought and life will be removed. See, that, that just to me is an amazing period of time. The dragon, it's, you know, it's, the, it's emphasizing and likening Satan to it, his ferocity and cruelty. A thousand years, this is the first ref, six references to the length of the millennium kingdom. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, verse 3, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand, year, thousand years were finished. But after this, thing, after these things, he must be released for a little while. Satan will be released so God can make a permanent end of sin before establishing the new heaven and earth. All who survive the tribulation and enter the kingdom will be believers. However, despite that, in the personal presence and rule of Jesus Christ, many of their descendants will refuse to believe in him. Satan will then gather those unbelievers for one final futile rebellion against God. It will be quickly and decisively crushed, followed by the great white throne judgment and the establishment of the eternal state. It just amazes me that we're still going to have people who want to rebel, but that's the state of man, isn't it? Our heart, even though we know God is sovereign, that God made us and loved us, do we, don't we still at times, I know I do, rebel? I mean, it's just the way it is. <clears throat> so it's a state of man. So let's see, going through, um, oh yeah, so verse 4. And I saw, the th- I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of G- to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So regarding those who were beheaded, these are tribulation martyrs. The Greek word translated beheaded became a general term for execution, not necessarily a particular method. Um, 
His mark, the tribulation martyrs will be executed for refusing the mark of the beast. Reigned, um, let's see. The Okay, so now you go to the part that I thought was, I had questions about. But the rest, and it's in verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead, the bodies of unbelievers of all ages, will not be resurrected until the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> so they've already had a resurrection where people are brought up you know, to the heavens. The believers do, are. And so that's where my confusion is. But this is talking about the first resurrection of those who basically didn't believe in God and didn't accept Christ. So the first resurrection, Scripture teaches two kinds of resurrection, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of, the, of condemnation. The first kind of resurrection is described as the resurrection of the just, the res- resurrection of those who are Christ, Christ, his, you know, it's his possessive, at his coming, and the better resurrection. It includes only the redeemed of the church age, the Old Testament and the tribulation. They will enter the kingdom in resurrection bodies, along with believers who survived the tribulation. The second kind of, rev- of resurrection will be the resurrection of the unconverted, who will receive their final bodies, suited for torment in hell. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part, who has part in the first resurrection. Over such second death has no power, but they shall be priest of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Blessed, those who die in the Lord are blessed with the privilege of entering his kingdom. The second death. The first death is spiritual and physical. The second is eternal in the lake of fire. The final eternal hell. It could exist outside of the created universe as we know it, outside of space and time, and be presently unoccupied. See chapter 19, verse 20. So, why is Satan released? It doesn't really say. It just says that he will. He'll be re- he will be released. And then when he does get released in verse 8, he'll go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together for battle and whose number is at this, as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people rebelling against God even after this thousand years of peace. It just shows how short, ter- short our memories are. Gog and Magog is the name given to the army of rebels and its leaders at the end of the millennium. They were names of ancient enemies of the Lord. Magog was the grandson of Noah and founder of a kingdom located north of the Black and Caspian Seas. Gog is apparently the leader of a rebel army known collectively as Magog. The battle depicted in verses 8 and 9 is like the one in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It is best to see this one taking place at the end of the millennium. Let's see what other parts were interesting to me. Then you have um, in verse uh, 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled, and there was profound there was found no place for them. Heaven and earth fled. John was was saw the contaminated universe go out of existence. Peter described this moment: the universe is uncreated, going into non-existence. That's pretty wild. 
right? So you're going to have the universe, poof, go away. Uh, the great white throne, nearly 50 times in Revelation, there is the mention of a throne. This is a judgment throne, elevated, pure, and holy. God sits on, on it as judge in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I saw the dead, small and great, standing before, before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So this is in verse 12. And, you know, it talks about these books, um, you know, regarding the books, these books record every thought, word, and deed of sinful man, all recorded by divine omniscience. They will provide the evidence for eternal con condemnation. The book of life is, it, is the one that contains the names of all the redeemed. Judged according to their works, their thoughts, words, and actions will be compared to God's perfect holy standard. And will be found wanting. This also implies that there are degrees of punishment in hell. So I thought it was interesting that the sea gave up, you know, it's dead. And then same with death and Hades. But there is no real reason or differentiator or explanation as to why we're talking about the sea versus death and Hades. But in regards to death and Hades, both terms describe the state of death and unrighteous dead all unrighteous dead will appear at the great white throne judgment. None will escape. All the places that have held the bodies of the unrighteous dead will yield up new bodies suited for hell. So it's interesting. The actions of the, of the non-believers, their actions are documented in the, their books. But the book of life simply contains the names of all the redeemed. It doesn't talk about, it doesn't mention anything about my actions because I've been redeemed. God has forgiven and has forgotten and judges no more my actions. So it's a big difference and one I'm grateful for because at the end of the day, God, God has already forgiven me. He's forgiven my sins from the past my current, and my future because he's redeemed me through the blood of Jesus. And not to do that would cheapen the sacrifice made by Christ. So with that, I'm just going to wrap this up and close with prayer. Father God, thank you for this time and for this day, for watching over us. I'm grateful for all you've done, and I'm grateful that my, my name and just my name is written in the book of life. I pray, Father, for our nation. I just praise you and thank you for the opportunity to live here. And I pray that you would watch our nation and give it guidance. Give our leaders guidance. I just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks a lot for joining me at Just a Guy and his journey back to God. I hope you have a great day.